investigate and discuss high strangeness in the weird world in which we live. I'm your host, Taylor, and across the virtual desk for me tonight is my brother, Seb. Seb, how's it going? Hey, good evening. Hey, folks, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, we would have John here with us, but he has got his parents in town visiting, oh. uh, and so he's like, yeah, I'm not going to be available. I'm like, that's okay, dude. It's all good. As it is, we're we're pushing back our podcasting recording to, like, Thursday next week. So, oh, wow. Yeah, they're in town for quite a few days, so that's okay. We will miss John and his amazing soundboard skills, uh, but we hope to have him back next month. Um, but, yes, I have, I'm well. Um, life is interesting (laughs) yeah it's been it's been a long month (laughs) it has been a long month and it's it's been a month where you know we we started the month with a bunch of birthdays and then we plowed into the end of the school year for half the family Mm. and we managed to get a camping trip in on top of that um and and now we're in this crazy weird post Roe versus Wade world. Um I don't know, man. I I feel lucky that we're even getting an episode put together this month. It was so crazy. Big month. I mean it for me it's been a month of highs and lows. Probably the high point was uh I got to attend a taping of the Antiques Road Show. And, yeah. Uh, and then probably the low for me was I uh, I finally got hit with the COVID. Yes. Um, so happy that it didn't seem to have infected anybody else, which is great news. Fingers yeah. crossed. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, all around kind of a kind of an intense month. So. Yeah, a bit. And I and I want to. I mean, I feel like I should take a moment here at the beginning of our episode to to make it clear to the world, um, and if it needs to be made clear, is that um, we here at the show, and I'd probably say at Night of the Living Geeks Network in its entirety. Um, support bodily autonomy. You get to do what you want to do with your body, and no one else should have a say in that. Um, that that's really a big deal to us. And yeah, um, I don't know. The world is really kind of messed up right now. I feel a great disturbance in the force. <laughs> I, I, yes, indeed, I do too. I do too. It's like half the population is shouting, "What the flip?" Actually, probably not saying flip, but I'm trying to keep it a little PG uh, here on the network tonight. Um, anyway. What 
is new in your weird this month, Seb? Anything strange? Um, well, you know, I uh, I actually um, read my first book on astrology. I had okay. never read an astrology book before. Um, really didn't know anything about the practice. Um, still know relatively little because I honestly didn't realize how much actual math is involved with it. Oh, I boy. Mean, okay. It can be pretty intense, but I learned something really fascinating. What's that? Well, before I read this book, basically, I knew my, my zodiac sign, and I knew mm-hmm. that you know, you could look in the newspaper, and if your birthday was in a certain time of the year, this your sign was so and so. Yeah. Well, actually, my whole entire life, I've I've been under the false impression of what my sign actually was. I have a completely different zodiac sign. Um. And because it's crazy, because basically what happened was so the association of dates of birth with different signs of the zodiac dates back more than two thousand years. Okay. However, there the there is a movement of fixed stars of about one degree every seventy two years from the perspective of the Earth. Okay. So consequently, over two thousand years, the the location of the stars every night uh, throughout the course of the year has shifted by maybe like twenty five degrees. Okay. So that means, for me at least, um, I all this time I've thought I was a Capricorn. I'm really a Sagittarius, and almost everybody I know actually has a different sign than what. I've always thought they had, which is really fascinating. That's, well, That that's interesting. Um, a lot of the people I know who are into astrology oh. don't really kind of bring that up much. You know, a Virgo is a Virgo and a Cap is a Cap and an Aries mm-hmm. is an Aries. Um, but I guess it depends on, you know, what, what source you're taking as, I suppose, the astrological gospel. Yeah, so that was that was pretty cool. But what, what's what's new in your weird? Well, I you know when we were when we were up camping, it was we were staying in like a little cabin, like a little bunkhouse mm-hmm. at a um, it's called the Coloma Resort. I don't know that I really think of it as a resort because people say resort and they think fancy. This is you know there's cabins, there's bunkhouses, there's trailer camping, there's tent camping all along the American River. I mean, mm-hmm. literally walking distance from where gold was discovered in California. Neat little town right there on Highway 49. I know that I know that you have a co-worker, any listener of the show is a yeah. big fan <laughs> of Highway 49. Right. Um, and um, so, yeah, we, we, were, we were staying there and I think it was last, I can't remember if it was last Saturday or last Sunday. I was, um, I had... Um, taken uh, Alan Greenfield's new book, Saucers and Saucers, with me uh, up there to try and finish, along with uh, a book that was some of the research for this month's episode on my Kindle. Um, And the kids were at the pool and swimming, and I was hanging out and reading the rest of Greenfield's book, and I finished it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I basically kind of was just it, it i had this kind of like mood of just like feeling like i could just like look up and and kind of put the intention out there of like it would be so cool to see a flying saucer today mm. um and i basically i tweeted it out in greenfield replies he's like you know looking up is always good but you know what you don't always have to do it with intention sometimes the best you know uh sightings are more just spontaneous okay and i was like huh Okay, you know, maybe maybe not looking up with this this 
preconceived notion of what I want to see. Okay. So fast forward to that evening, and um, I mean, shoot it. At one point, I see something against because we had some we had a little bit of cloud cover last okay. weekend before things got hot, and I see this little black dot, like little black dot, and I'm like, what the heck is that? And I am looking way off in the distance as best I can, and I'm like, like that's not moving. Okay. Like that's staying perfectly still. And I had to look at it for a good long time. And I even used my phone camera, which, you know, once you zoom into a certain point, you've either got to have a really steady hand, you know, to, to capture anything. It did ultimately just turn out to be just a bird. Okay. But it was up so high and it ah. was so tiny and it w- relative to the cloud, it was staying perfectly still. And I'm like, okay, this is weird. Yeah. But I ultimately figured out it was a bird. But that night as we're hanging out and sitting out in front of the campfire and stuff, I just, I like looking up. I like seeing the stars, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. And, um, you know, saw, you know, actually quite a few satellites, which oh, is cool. really cool. <clears throat> and I, I saw... Two different, I still think these examples were satellites where you get kind of like a, um, like it flares up a little bit, like it gets brighter. Mm. Um, but that's because it, it, at, at that height, you know, it, there's no, there's nothing to block the sun. So if, it, if it's rotating, if it's turning, if it reaches a certain point, it can reflect sunlight back down so it can get brighter. Okay. But it was, it was one and then shortly behind it was another one. Interesting. And I was like, oh, maybe it's a maybe it's a starling because okay. often oftentimes people will see these, you know, chains of satellites going over and not realize that they're starling satellites mm. um, and mistaken for UFOs. And it's like, OK, that was all cool and everything. And as I'm sitting there, you know, the evening is getting later and later. And, you know, I look up again. And so here's now what I mean, I presume is a satellite. It's going in the opposite direction. OK. Uh, which is not uncommon as far as I understand. Satellites can go, you know, any which way they're plotted to go. Uh, not meaning that they can just turn on a dime, but it's like, hey, you're in this orbit. You're going this way. You're in that orbit. You're going that way, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm watching this go left to right across the sky and, and just eh, maybe about my 12.30, 1 o'clock vertically. I swear that... As it passes what appears to be a stationary star, uh-huh. that stationary star now starts moving. Really? Yeah. Starts wow. basic, basically like pacing it, although they're on slightly different tracks. So as you go further and further to the right, they're getting further and further apart. Oh, weird. Um, yeah, that was a little strange. And I, I, I have to fully admit that um, I, I wear progressive lenses. So my mm. distance vision is like, you know, toward the top of my lens or the middle of my lens okay. and toward the bottom, it's more for up close reading. Okay. But looking out at the sky, I find that, um, my, like my distance vision, like distance up into, you know, up into the stars, mm-hmm. um, doesn't always feel all that great. So I'm always a little hesitant to be like, Oh, well that's obviously this, or that's obviously mm. that, or okay. maybe that thing was moving and I just couldn't focus on it because of my glasses. So, but regardless, after finishing that book, after having that exchange and then being there under the stars, that was kind of a weird experience. So maybe, maybe I saw something. That's awesome, man. Yeah. That's a great story. I yeah. love it. Yeah. Well, other awesome stories are about to follow because if there is one thing that watching Hellier has taught me, 
It's that no matter how strange or obscure the experience, odds are it's happened before, somewhere, to someone. And it may be part of a larger pattern of phenomena that's happening across the globe. This month, we start with the story of Robert Short and his channeling of a space intelligence called Corton. But rather than digging literally into the minutiae, of his story, we're going to use it to launch into and investigate similar experiences amongst the Hellier crew. The idea is is that when our road to Hellier reaches its destination in only a couple of months, oh boy, gotta get a rewatch in, uh, you, listener, will have a broader knowledge of some of the more fringe elements we see reflected in this documentary. Because if we are seeing these repeated patterns and elements, it certainly suggests that the phenomena has a way that it, I guess, prefers to interact with modern human um and you heard a little bit of robert short and his channeling at the intro i did a special intro just for this month um and and quite honestly that wheeze sounds a little bit like me when i get my allergy cough going really really bad which thankfully it hasn't for a couple of years now um but seb tell me a little bit if you would about robert short's like early life sure sure yeah so um Robert Edward Short was born on June 28, 1929 in Sioux City, Iowa, and his, uh, his father was an executive with W. Swift & Company. Uh, when he was five, his family moved to Los Angeles, where his father worked as a salesman and later as a Hollywood agent. Hmm, okay. Yeah. Um, so Short, his family was not overly religious, um, nor did they show a, a big interest in metaphysical concepts or anything like that. Uh, apparently, Short... Uh, according to his uh, his own essentially autobiography, he believed that visitors from another world would come here from space, and he felt that their arrival would be the greatest event to happen on Earth. I so was this kind of as he was a child in the 1930s. Yes, that I, that, he, that he was having this 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 feeling. To the to yeah to the best of my knowledge with this research, I mean it, it's it's really interesting because you know as we're as we delve more into his life story and how it connects to Hellier, he sort of was 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 one of the a member of i guess you might call the one of the early generations of ufo contactees the ufo contactee movement definitely Um, and he definitely was one of the longer lived members of that generation he almost seemed Mm kind of like at like basically like the last of the mohicans kind of sort of situation where he was you know he only died a couple years ago i think yes Um, yeah 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 um and and that's interesting and i only bring it up because um you know the the 1930s you know we we had the depression going on um so it's like that time in and of itself is all very kind of liminal because there was such upheaval you know people moving all over the place because they couldn't find work or their Mm -hmm. farms had dried up or Mm -hmm. whatever um but but i don't i don't really i'm trying to think because you know if if he's living in los angeles Mm -hmm. you know 1930 Mm -hmm. so we're we're talking pre-world war ii we're talking depression era um, but we're also talking Hollywood. I don't know, I mean, maybe short of a Buck Rogers, but I think even that, it's too early for a Buck Rogers film. I, I don't see a lot of, you know, um, we're interested in space, we're interested in aliens, mm-hmm. you know, um, kind of in terms of influence on him. Like, mm-hmm. what, what, what could he be exposed to that might give him these ideas of like, oh, yes, 
visitors from another world will come here and it will be an amazing experience so i'm 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 trying to look for those little uh crumbs that may kind of like form the kernel of a of a of a thing here but it doesn't mm. seem like that really happens until later in life yeah you're right i mean it, i mean i definitely agree his childhood was at a time in american history where pop culture wasn't as saturated with flying saucers as it would later be in, in the in the century you know um uh, apparently he uh, he had a short short stint in the u.s navy um but actually did become interested in ufos upon hearing of uh, ken arnold's sightings near mount rainier in 1947 uh, which honestly let's let's point out that we're recording on the the 25th of june uh just Ooh. yesterday just yesterday the 24th of june even though we were distracted by some horrible uh news uh it was the 75th anniversary Good of call. kenneth arnold sighting oh that's oh that totally slipped my mind but you're entirely right wow yeah which means that in just a few days we're looking at the 75th anniversary of roswell oh my gosh yeah for sure I did not plan out our shows very well because <laughs> no. doing doing a July episode about the seventy fifth anniversary of Roswell probably would have been a bit more fitting. <laughs> well, we'll get to it eventually. I'm sure. We will. We will. <laughs> so, um, by about nineteen fifty one, Short's interests in uh, UFOs took him down to uh, Winslow, Arizona, and he began began working with um, a gentleman, uh, George Rick Williamson, and another fellow by the name of Lyman Streeter, and they apparently claimed to have contacted extraterrestrial intelligence on his ham radio of all things. Okay. Um, apparently, if I understand correctly, uh, this gentleman Streeter, uh, when he first started receiving these messages, he thought his leg was being pulled. He thought it was some sort of hope. Um, and, uh, you know, Short was kind of interacting with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't long after this, uh, that he, um, had his own, uh, UFO sighting and someone suggested that Short might want to try communicating with extraterrestrial intelligence, not necessarily with ham radios, but with, um, what is called automatic writing. Yeah. Take a moment and explain what automatic writing is. Well, I think automatic writing, if I'm not mistaken, kind of comes from the tradition of like spiritualism. Mm-hmm. So you might have an individual who believes that they're communicating or channeling with maybe the spirit of a deceased person, and they might have a piece of paper, a pencil, or other writing implement, and they would start writing or drawing um, either pictures or messages or sentences um, that they feel their hand or whatever is being guided by the spirit. So really what's coming out is the message of the, the, the spirit rather than the writer him, him or herself, I guess. Right, and from from what I from what I understand, and from what I've seen in terms of examples of automatic writing, is that the the person doing the channeling, the person who's the conduit, as it were, um, is uh, either either uh, blindfolded in some way or mm. or not looking at the paper. Right, right, right. Because it's it's one thing to look at the paper and go, oh, well, it should be saying this, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. If you remove that element and you're kind of just letting that flow go and you're not focusing on even where you are on the paper or anything, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that's a little bit more in terms of, of what automatic writing involved. Right. So apparently Short sets up a large artist's pad mm-hmm. and he's holding his hand over it and he's trying this automatic writing. He's... He's really only getting swirls, but then uh, apparently something incredible happening. They began writing, and the writing came so <clears> fast that Short describes it in one of his books as 
He would feed the paper in with his left hand and immediately feed it out again like an assembly line. And apparently, according to Short, an extraterrestrial entity calling himself John Owl mm-hmm. seemed to be Short's main contact. Um, although other entities would sporadically come through with information. Um, so right there, that's really fascinating. So apparently this automatic writing is working, but in his instance, it's not necessarily the spirit of a deceased person, but apparently an extraterrestrial intelligence. Well, sure. Why why not you know be able to channel like like where where do you draw the difference why right. not why not be able to channel uh uh through automatic writing or other means like people look at um and we'll talk about this more next month because we're going to talk about kind of other methods of communication mm-hmm. you know everybody looks at the esta session and is like oh well you do it with ghosts well why couldn't you do it with aliens that's a good point yeah if, if you if, know if these entities are out there and you're contacting them through a, a non-traditional method, um, it, 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 it is sort of like a radio in the sense that, you know, you, you might be picking up one person transmitting, but you might also get other people that are also transmitting on the same wavelength, I guess, too, you know? Well, yeah, sure. I mean, if you, if you take this idea, um, and, and, and I know we talk we will talk about it a little bit in, in terms of Robert Short's experience, um, you know, this idea of having to kind of like uh, raise your vibration, mm-hmm. right? You hear that throughout a lot of ufology and a lot of contactees um, and a lot of channelers and even a lot of spiritualists is raising the vibration. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I think, I think, not that I've had the experience myself, kind of tunes you into whatever frequency. And if there are minor variations in that vibration over time, yeah, mm-hmm. may, maybe you pick up someone else. And may, maybe Short hits a vibration and he starts picking up this Johnel guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's going and going and going. And maybe the vibration wavers a little bit. And now he's picking up somebody else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and that, that, that seems like other entities sporadically coming through. Right, right. With right. information. I mean, I'm just, I'm trying to, you know, uh, kind of fit kind of an analogy to it so it makes sense, but I don't know. No, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, apparently, Short was cl- claimed that the writings um, were intelligent and, and that they consisted of messages of higher learning with spiritual truths. Um, and then during one of the sessions, this was kind of a key moment in his career, uh, the extraterrestrials communicated a message to him uh, that they wanted him to go to the big rock in the desert if he wished to learn more truths about the extraterrestrials. Yeah. Which is kind of the big the big turning point in his, his uh, development, I guess. Yeah, totally. Because when I when I got to this point in uh, Robert Short's book, um, because I figured, hey, it's three bucks on Kindle. Like, I'll invest three bucks to hear what he has to say. Mm-hmm. Um, he says that 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 he asked for more directions via mm-hmm. automatic writing, uh, but they weren't saying anything more. Um, and and I I totally like. You know, you can highlight stuff in a Kindle. And I totally highlighted this next thing that he says. He said, I'd soon discover, though, just how much preparation was actually taking place on their part. And that synchronicity, Uh, not coincidence, is at the core of my involvement with extraterrestrials. And when I... When I hear and when I see the word synchronicity, and I'm, mm-hmm. I, we're looking obviously at Hellier and stuff yep. like that, that is key. That's a key um, word for Hellier for sure. Absolutely. I even 
honestly, I see a bit of a trickster element. Really? Here, oh yeah, absolutely, because, you know, if they're going through automatic writing, or if he's going through automatic writing, I should say, rather, and and he's like, you know, oh, go to the big rock in the desert if you want to learn more about us, and he's like, okay, great, how do I get there? And they're like, mm, nope, you gotta figure that out on your own. Right, right. Yeah, you know? Part of it the quest. Is, <clears throat> it is, it's part of the quest, it's part of the initiation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and and part of the initiation um, involves frustration, mm. right? And and we actually get that as as he's trying to get to Giant Rock, um, he he takes a drive out to I think like twenty nine Palms, right? Um, and uh, obviously, there's nothing on a map that says Giant Rock. You're in the desert, you know. There's giant rocks everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he stops at a gas station and he's like, "Hey, Mac." Because that's what people called each other back then. Hey, Mac. <laughs> or hey, pal. Um, bub. Yeah. Bub. Um, how do I get to this giant rock that's out here? And he's like, <laughs> the gas station guy is like, dude, look around. It's the giant rocks everywhere. I'm like, take your pick. Yeah. Right? So he's having this frustration. I was like, I can't find this place. So he starts driving and suddenly hears in his head, turn left so, well crap okay he turns left you know and he's going and he comes to a fork in the road and he goes well now what and then he hears this voice go take the road to the right mm-hmm. right and so so it's if you i'm trying to think of this in kind of like the broader scope so he in his recounting is like oh no 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 they there was a lot of preparation going on on the part of the space intelligences and stuff here and it's like you know, they say, you know, go find the big rock in the desert if you want to learn more about us. Then they uh-huh. wait to see if he actually does that. Uh-huh. Okay, so he's going through with this. He's making the effort. He's in, he's going into this initiation. Um, and he's at a point where he's kind of going on faith a uh-huh. little bit, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. Like if I got, if I somehow channeled the words, you know, this to go do that. I don't know that I necessarily would. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I suppose I would want to. It's a little bit more involved when you've got a whole family to take care of and everything else. But, you yeah. know, so, you know, if you're if you're thinking of it this way, that they that, you know, they're kind of watching and they see, oh, he's putting in the effort. Mm-hmm. Let's guide him to where we need him to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then we get a bit of an ex- uh, a trickster element because he he ultimately makes it to Giant Rock out in the Mojave out near Landers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and there's, I mean, there's basically a restaurant in the middle of nowhere, which is kind of Douglas Adams in a way. It's very surreal, very surreal. Very, very surreal. Um, and so it, it's really kind of crazy because, you know, he gets there and like, I think it's, I think it's the next morning. Like it turns out that George Van Tassel, who's, you know, uh, again, a very famous early ufologist and early contactee, mm-hmm. uh, person he was like dude you know uh, uh, uh short shows him his automatic writing and you know van tassel's like yeah this seems like this seems legit yeah you know he's like he's like how did you how did you get here anyway and so short recounts how he got there um and he's like oh well you came in the back way there's an easier way to get here mm-hmm. you know and then again that makes me think oh they're they're messing with them they're, there's this tricksterish element Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, involved in all that but of course there's there's a goings-on at giant rock tell me about that sub right right exactly was well as you said van tassel was another key figure in the early you know saucer movement um and it's my understanding that he um 
at Giant Rock in the Mojave near Landers um, yep. <clears throat> held periodic um, UFO. I don't know if I don't know if the word conference is the right word. I guess more gap, more like gatherings of different mm-hmm. like-minded people. Um, there was a little. I don't even want to call it a community. I mean, I think there was a small airstrip, a little airport, obviously a restaurant, um, and um, a dwelling of some sort. And yeah. apparently that night there was going to be a gathering of these folks, these like-minded folks. Van Tassel invites Short to come on, come along. And that night people all from all over the United States come to the meeting. Some had flown in. And in an underground room carved under this giant rock, um, it was packed apparently. Um, Short according to his account, sat quietly waiting for the meeting to begin. Um, And before long, everyone started singing, of all things, a favorite tune, I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles. I'm Forever Blowing yeah, I don't know. Maybe Which maybe is, I'll, maybe I'll slip in a clip of it right here. Or I, something. I, I, I'll be I'll be completely honest. I I'm not sure what the significance of that song is to to Van Tassel and his his movement. But um, then shortly after yeah, the assembly, all in one voice started chanting Oh mm-hmm, right, which is which is a a, um, a Buddhist uh, word for perfection. Um, oh, and that, okay. that again, that is a vibrational mm. thing. With respect to forever blowing bubbles, I mean, <clears throat> if there's anything I feel like I've, I've taken away from the past, you know, few years of kind of studying this and greater and listening to more and more uh, uh, voices in the field is that, and this is very much a Johnny Altenny kind of thing, is that the mm. phenomena wants you to play. Mm. It wants you to play with it. Mm. Uh, now, does that mean the phenomena is a little child and it's like, let's play? I don't know. Um, but but something kind of lighthearted mm-hmm. and, and, and almost comical in a sense of like, here, we're all these... We're all these UFO people, and we're all going to sit down, and we're going to sing I'm Forever Blowing Bubble. No, right? Right? That's That seems so like, why would we do that? That's crazy. But maybe it's just that level of play, just to kind of, like, loosen the mind. Maybe, yeah. It's quite possible. Yeah. And then, obviously, we get the ohm chanting, mm-hmm. and that, of course, becomes a vibrational thing. But, but, but then Van Tassel starts to speak. He does. He does. Momentarily, his, his voice changes. His, Van Tassel's voice becomes deeper, more monotone, and he starts channeling an entity. Whoever he was, whoever was speaking through him now introduced himself as, a, as a, some sort of space being, and he says, quote, and we are coming from the realms of Blau, quote, which I guess is maybe their world or their universe or their dimension. I'm not I, entirely sure. I don't know. I mean, if you if you look at B-L-A-U in German, it's blue. Oh, interesting. <laughs> like the sky maybe perhaps the sky or the ocean or something that's blue i guess perhaps hmm. um so apparently according to short van tassel starts speaking as if it's like a briefing he's he's he or the entity he's channeling is alerting the crowd to situations that were taking place on the earth and what humanity had to do in order to bring about a peaceful solution to these events um the entity stated that they were very upset about atomic devices humans were using and informed the crowd of tactics they could use to change their situation such as contacting congressmen and working as a group um the singing and charting chanting started again and as before van tassel went into an altered state and the next thing short knew he was out like a light yeah because uh all of a sudden um short had started to channel himself exactly and Um, and he had this great booming thundering voice coming out of him uh and and he has no no recollection it's it's like he passes out 
Right, right. Uh, and it, it's I, I find it interesting because, and there's the, I've got like two competing things because, like, um, according to Robert Short, the Space Intelligence Channel claimed that they are at present in another parallel universe and parallel solar system. Mm-hmm. Now, this is kind of interesting, and I will want to touch on this a little bit later, um, which is in another time zone or dimension. Mm-hmm. These particular beings are humanoid, and they appear as solidly physical, looking very much like our own people here on Earth. These beings state that they also have established bases, mostly underground. Right. Yep, go back a few episodes for that one. On several of our own nearby planets, although we don't talk about those, uh, as well as satellites on the fringes of our solar system. Um, and I, I love it because just the, just the terminology from this era of ufology, it's, it's the space intelligence. And um, these bases are all open to members of what's called the Solar Confederation. <laughs> like you don't get anything called the solar confederation these days not anymore no no but something something in saucers and saucerers kind of stuck out to me really and I, yeah and i and i i just it's not super directly related to this episode but it is just enough that i want to bring it up because it really really kind of clicked with me because i oh, okay. feel personally i feel like <clears throat> Like, the phenomena on some level, Uh I think, can either tap into our thoughts and our desires and our intents, or what we are thinking of, what we are focusing on, what we most desire or worry about or whatever can influence i'm just going to say reality because you know realistically the phenomena is part of our reality okay so i've 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 written out a little bit from his book i'm gonna totally recommend buying it it's not very expensive it's a really easy read it's a number of um essays and articles and stuff that he did back in the 50s and 60s okay um and he says i want us to keep in mind going forward the is the idea that a Reality cannot be separated from our observation of it. B, reality is not fixed. That is, what we expect to find may influence what we actually find. Mm. That's key. C, physical physical laws are only relative concepts, applicable within only a limited sphere. Mm. And D, our universe is a more or less arbitrary construct. Now, those are some heady topics uh, to kind of dive into. I wasn't really looking to kind of sit here and debate the nature of reality, but I <laughs> I really kind of glom on to the what we expect to find mm. may influence what we actually find. Uh-huh. Um, because something else he talks about is the subjective hypothesis of ufology. Um, and this was really interesting to me um and of course i make reference to a couple of pages in the book and i don't have the book in front of me right now but i'll try to do my best um the subjective hypothesis of ufology deals with the ufo problem in terms of its existential manifestation rather than in terms of the hypothetical objective stimulus what does that mean yeah that's to say the importance of the ufo phenomenon is seen in relationship to the effect that the problem had on people so it's it's a matter of um not just you know um like why did you see a ufo it's 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 why 
why was that important to you? Like, what effect did that have on the viewer? Uh, Um, And similarly, he says you can also apply it to someone who does, uh, uh, who hoaxes something. You know, it's, it's, you know, what, what effect, what reasoning does that person have to do this act interesting um and i'm I'm probably really not doing it justice and i just i'm not in a position where i can just get up and go run and grab the book right now yeah um but it is a very fascinating way of looking at it and it and it it does more to um connect the idea of having an experience with um kind of like the individual who is experiencing it um rather than just you know this is a thing that is happening Uh and i'm just witness to it okay Okay. right it's more it's more of a of a relationship and i think as we get deeper into um like the next few months worth of episodes i think that's gonna gonna come up more and more Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so anyway setting that aside because i feel like you know, we have a bunch of people out at Giant Rock. They want to see something. They want to have this experience, uh-huh. right? And so, <clears throat> do they? Do they influence their reality? And so, ba- so basically, so like, like, so if you have a group of like-minded individuals who gather at at a particular location, hoping to, you know, see or encounter a saucer. Maybe if they do encounter it or see it or it flies through the sky, maybe if those people hadn't even been there with that intent, it never would have flown by. Right. Okay. Yeah, it's it's that kind of an idea. Mm. And I'm having this very strange moment of deja vu. Like, you've said that before. That's really weird. Really? I don't remember that's, that. No, I know. I oh, know. Okay. But it's just like, just all of a sudden, I was like, wow, I feel like you've said that exact phrase somewhere before. Huh. Oh, that was That was odd. Um, um, so... Again, talking vibrationally, Short describes the space intelligence as existing in dimensions of which we are not presently aware Mm -hmm. because they live within a faster vibrational frequency rate that renders them invisible to our normal sight. Mm -hmm. That completely feeds into the whole like higher vibrational frequencies, the idea that, you know, everything that's kind of just in our visual and auditory spectrums Mm -hmm. are not everything that there is. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so here we are getting this early 1950s. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we see that repeated throughout. Um, and so I found that I found that really really fascinating. Yeah, it's basically almost like a a parallel the parallel universe where they're like they could be standing right next to us, but we couldn't necessarily see them or feel them or anything like that. Right. But on some level, maybe we can interact and influence things there and maybe they can interact and influence things here when the vibrations are right Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. now if i'm not mistaken seb at 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 some point there there is kind of um you know even before i mentioned this you know uh uh talking about like what we expect to find Mm -hmm. may influence what we actually find so of course late 1940s early 1950s there's lots of fear of nuclear weapons right it seems like a lot of the you know contactees are are channeling you know space brothers um benevolent extraterrestrials who are are very concerned with you know the state of human affairs and hoping that you know we basically don't blow ourselves up which um which is which is very kind of them, you know. Uh, one of the things I love about the 
this era of the saucer, you know, the UFO movement, I guess, or ufology is just how, I guess, optimistic or positive the extraterrestrials appear to be, you know? Yes, Um, that's definitely one way of looking at it. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's like if if I had to choose between, you know, a human-looking space brother in, you know, uh, a shiny leotard who's wishing me well versus a, you know, little gray alien from the 80s who wants to abduct me and, like, do experiments on me, it's like, give me the guy in the leotard any day. Yes. Absolutely. I'll agree with that. That's for sure. But but um, beginning in about 1952, I, I feel like there's kind of this, uh, almost the beginnings of a falling out between Van Tassel and Short, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Um, okay. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So um, I guess I guess the way to, to set up this part of the, the story of Short's life, um, it, it seems like contactees, um, especially those who who channel, you know, an extraterrestrial intelligence. Um, there, there usually is one uh, entity that's maybe like their main, the, the person they're mainly associated with. We did an episode on, you know, Valiant Thor. Right. You know, um, Van Tassel, he, he, cha- he channels many entities, but <clears throat> the main person he channeled was somebody called Ashtar. Um, and uh, Short um, will eventually become most famous, I guess, for channeling an entity called Corton. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a it's kind of a mixed up story, but let me try to do my best of, of, of explaining it to the best of my ability. So so Ashtar, the entity that Van Tassel starts to channel, um, was supposedly the head of something called Ashtar Command, and he was the supreme director in charge of all the spiritual program for the. Um, that's quite the title. That's quite the title. Um, from his giant starship in the Earth's general vicinity ashtar gives orders to millions of extraterrestrials and interdimensional beings who are trying to reform and enlighten earthling um, ashtar addressed an emerging emerging concern among occultists of the period that the hydrogen bomb would destroy the planet if scientists did not stop their work on the device immediately right there's that fear there's the fear. Yep. So before long, other channelers were receiving materials from Ashtar, as well as his associates, including Sananda, Corton, Soltek, Athena, Monka, and others. Now, so many of Ashtar's channelings occurred that soon Ashtar was warning some communicants that evil astral entities were impersonating. Yeah. Now this this is where things get a little interesting for me because I feel like, and again, I will emphasize, I feel like. Right. I wasn't there. I don't know what was going on. I can't speak to it directly, but I get the feeling that there was there came a point where it was like, you know, maybe maybe Van Tassel's being like, well, why are all these other guys channeling, you know, Ashtar? Ashtar's my main squeeze, you know, and yeah. there's this jealousy and it's like, oh, oh, well, hey, guys, Ashtar says there could be some evil imposters out there. So. Don't listen to them. Listen to me, because I have only the true Ashtar talking through me. It's yeah. It's you know. It, there is. I mean, I think you could make an argument that um, any group of people with a shared belief, if 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 you have someone who claims to pr- present knowledge or wisdom independently of the hierarchy, yep. is sometimes seen as a threat. So the, the 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 situation I always think about is Joan of Arc, right? Right. So you have the Middle Ages. You have a very powerful Catholic church that has hierarchy and priests and bishops and everything. And then you get this 
this peasant woman who claims that, yes, she believes in everything they believe in, but she's able to communicate directly with God and can sort of bypass all the, bypass all the priests and bishops because she has a direct telephone line to God. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, priests and the bishops get threatened by this, and before you know it, she's being burnt at the stake. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, totally. So, so I, I, it's, I always kind of see that going on here a little bit because um i mean i mean i'm sure van tassel it's difficult because you'd have to say okay if, if you're contacting you're channeling a space intelligence and then another contact starts claiming to channel the same space intelligence um i mean it could be true or it could be that it's another entity pretending to be that that ashtar who's sending a con- contradictory message right or you might think simply that, hey, I'm legit, but this other person who claims to be channeling is actually maybe a charlatan or someone who's trying to monetize the situation or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. So things could I, sort of kind of get contentious, I guess. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and and so, so Short kind of starts channeling more of Commander Corton. Right. <laughs> and, and, and if I'm right, he's supposedly... A leading light. Now, light comes up a lot. I know. In especially in um, especially in Short's book, um, because if 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 you spend the three bucks and and get the Kindle version and read it, I mean, it, it's worth the read. I I wasn't overly blown away by it. It does eventually mm-hmm. kind of like dive into a bit of ancient alien theory Mm. um there's a little bit of the whole like oh you know it's the coming of the fourth world like the our noble hopi brothers have Mm. you know predicted there's there's kind of um kind of a late 90s vibe to Mm -hmm. parts of it where where you know we're kind of like pulling from all these 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 uh you know more indigenous um ideas and uh, uh uh writers and 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 people and stuff um but there is because robert short will eventually go on to form the blue blue rose ministry mm-hmm. uh and and be reverend robert uh short um that there there is a lot of christianity imbued in his experience and you know there's angels and and it's like how do we how do we know if we're working with you know um, a, a good space intelligence. Oh well, if if they're a follower of you know the Almighty God of Light and 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 uh, uh, Jesus the Christus, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, we're making it rhyme now, are we? Okay, <laughs> sure. Um, oh, then 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 you'll be fine. I said, like, but how do you even prove that? So there's. Mm. If if you want to get just the core of like his early experience. Um, I'll have a link to um, uh, part one of 15 parts worth of a radio interview he did. And that that really gives you pretty much everything you need to know. If you really want to just see kind of like everything he was espousing, espousing, excuse Mm -hmm. me, at one point uh, with this book and you don't mind, you know, (sighs) kicking down three bucks to figure that out. Um, you know, go ahead and read the book, but yeah, you'll, you'll quickly find that, oh, the stuff that's italicized in the book is stuff that he apparently channeled. Well, it, it, the, 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 the radio interview you mentioned earlier, yeah. um, I, I listened to it and it's incredibly fascinating, um, hearing him talk and, and, and exp- 
you know kind of explain his theories it it, it kind of um really uh it's interesting because he it, it represents you get the feeling within just a few first few minutes of listening to him that he's the kind of individual that um he's very passionate he talks a mile mm-hmm. a minute he definitely um if you have a conversation with him it's definitely def, definitely very difficult to get even a word in because he's saying so much yeah that's and, true and, it's kind of funny because for me, um, had his personality been the opposite, I think there would have been a little bit more. Um, I, I love the idea of someone who is very maybe soft spoken and meek, and when they channel and, and all of a sudden, then they become eloquent. Then they become right, you know, very very commanding. Yeah, um, and that's kind of what I was hoping his story would be like because in that instance, it would have had more I don't know pathos or emotional resonance or depth, you know, but. He definitely, even if he hadn't been channeling anybody, he definitely wasn't um, at a loss for words at any time, I guess. No, that's true. <laughs> that is true. And I also found it interesting. I, when You will hear him channel a little bit uh, shortly here. Um, but even when he's not channeling, like in the interview, mm. um, there's a point where he kind of rolls his R's a bit. Right, yeah. And that's something that, that you kind of hear him do a lot when he is uh channeling Corton and I'm kind of I had a moment where I was like oh I'm like what do I make of this mm. you know because I feel like up until this interview I had something I'd always associated with like oh this is if this is Corton speaking through him it's him rolling the R's oh okay and so now I hear him not channeling rolling the R's and I'm like okay did you just slip up or did you always just roll the R's and it just kind of comes that way, even when Corton's speaking through him? I don't know. Uh, that's an interesting point, yeah. But anyway, like I was saying, uh, Commander Corton is supposedly a leading light in the Ashtar Command, a close, trusted associate of Ashtar. And he, he heads, I love it, there's oh, yeah. so many great names and titles and stuff mm-hmm. when it comes to uh, uh, this whole experience and and and. I'll, I'll explain in a little bit kind of like the whole like subspace relay network that, that goes on mm. with this. It's wild, but he heads the Ashtar command core KOR communications base mm-hmm. located in another dimensional correlate to the planet Mars. Wow. Now see, this is when I, when we talked about the parallel solar system, mm-hmm. I have to wonder like, this is taking me forever to get to this one paragraph, but I have to wonder because they talk about, and we, we, we get this with Val Thor, oh, we're from Venus. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, here's, here's this intelligence and, and they're from Saturn or they're from Jupiter. Mm-hmm. Well, what if they're from, you know, parallel Jupiter or dimensional correlate Mars, right? They're not from mm-hmm. our Mars. They're not from our Venus. Mm-hmm. They're from you know, a parallel or a higher vibrational Venus. Mm. So it's still kind of technically Venus, but not our Venus. Right. You know what I mean? I feel like I see some of this kind of pop up through here, and it does make me wonder. It's like, okay, maybe maybe there is something to that. Mm-hmm. But, but Corton's task is to initiate contact with budding channelers and train them for their work. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, what do you say, shall we hear a little bit of uh, Corton being channeled by Robert Short? This is, I think, circa 1992. Let's do it. Give or take? Okay, here, let, 
us hear that. This is Central Control. This is Central Control. Stand by. Information to follow. Central Control, this is at eight. Central Control, this is at eight. We are ready to transmit. We are ready to transmit. One moment, please. This is the voice of Instruct Relay Automatic in and for the planet you of the Earth called Jupiter. On behalf of the Honorable Representative Cortan, we are ready to begin with that information which we have in our records at this time. We do not um, intercede um, except when called upon um, by those who are in their um, various nations, um, governing situations or bodies, um, and by the popular consent um, of their people. Um, this is only in um, emergency situations. Um. What do you think of that, Sam? I think it's really fascinating. Um, it's it's definitely um, there's a there's a, a performance aspect to it, um, and of course our listeners, you know, if, if if you don't get a chance to look at the YouTube link or video, yeah, um, you know, watching him go through the, the the motions of a channeling, I mean, it looks it looks physically exhausting. Um, it's true, yeah, it does, doesn't it? Um, it's I mean, it's it's uh, it's interesting how he there are pauses as if like. The, it's almost like if a radio transmission is delayed, sort of, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what, what are your what, what's your takeaway? What are your well, questions? it's I mean, you know, I, I'll be I'll be completely honest. I was introduced to Robert Short channeling Corton through um, the unbelievable podcast, which okay. eventually kind of like ended and then became the unbelievers podcast, both of which are hilarious. I highly recommend them. They're great people, um, but they do a lot of looking at um, weird and paranormal topics, but also kind of taking the mickey out of it. Oh, right? Okay. Like, like they will look at it in a humorous light. Like tongue in cheek? Um, I, no, because they really believe a lot of this stuff. Oh, okay. But they, they will like after, after the original, after the unbelievable podcast did Corton, like, you know, he, he opens with this is central control. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, he ends these these channelings with discontinue, mm-hmm. discon. Mm-hmm. Well, that discontinue became the end of every single episode. Oh, <laughs> oh cool. From then on, okay. on that show, because it just it stood out mm. so much, and it's it's basically like the end transmission signal. Um, and so I, I I was kind of introduced to it in a humorous light to begin with. So um, it is. You know, given what I know now about, you know, his situation and, and his experiences and stuff, um, I, I feel like on some level early on, like, I get it. I'm with it. I'm following along. Um, I, I'm, I, it, let me put it this way. It's more fun to believe that he's really channeling stuff. I think, I feel like with a lot of experiences, as it gets further and further on in time, mm-hmm. Like, 
you know, anytime you channel, you know, or anytime you hear a channeler, right? And they're, if they make any sort of prediction, Mm -hmm. right? God forbid, and it doesn't come to pass, Mm. you know, um, there's, there's that stress, there's that, um, you know, uh, that running the risk of, you know, nobody believing you anymore. And I, and I, I, I feel like at that point that more of the human element comes in Okay. of being like, well, I, I, I need to stay relevant as it were. Mm. I don't know that we necessarily get that with Robert Short, but I do feel like here, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not going to be the one to pass judgment on him. He certainly believes that he is channeling mm-hmm. Corton. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, I, I, I still think, I think much of his own likely Christian beliefs are kind of coming through there. And mm-hmm. it, that, that is kind of like that more core kind of like, you know, space brother bringing peace, bringing greetings, trying to, for lack of a better term, kind of like raise that vibration of everyone to kind of become more enlightened. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Obviously look around. We're a long way from that, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, But it, it is interesting in the sense that like much in the, like, okay. Remember when we did Val Thor? Yeah. Right. I know we're talking about him a lot today, but there's, there's, there are definite parallels Mm -hmm. and it's, it's, and it's like, Oh, um, we have this many ships, uh, uh, parked on Earth or parked around Earth, and here's where they all are, mm-hmm. right? And and here's here's like a detailed layout of the kitchen of our spaceship, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And we we would get these like strangely like detailed um, bits that you wouldn't think anybody would really care about, mm-hmm. right? Like I don't really care about the kitchen layout of your spaceship, but hey, it's cool that you have one. I hope the snacks are good, right? Right. So one of the things that that Short does in his book is he actually describes the space intelligence method of communication um, as using uh, something called tensors. Okay. Right. And he says the beings term it instruct relay, automatic translator, um, and a subspace radio network in our system down through a number of planetary craft UFOs in our space corridors, because if we can make this sound more Doctor Who, space corridors, (laughs) and atmospheric levels to the monitoring devices, scanners, and then from there to human channelers, TV and radio devices. So that ham radio thing at the beginning, right? Not to mention we get, um, oh my gosh, it was a famous... TV interruption. I think it was 1977 in England. That was supposedly, you know, uh, um, I believe it was someone from the Ashtar Command. Oh, interrupting British TV. It short talks about it in his book. Okay, as being like a totally legit. Oh wow! Like this was the space intelligence trying to reach you guys. Oh man! Um, and I would have grabbed the recording for this episode but the whole thing is like seven minutes long it's real long but we we will we'll touch on it another episode because it really is kind of fascinating okay so the instrument or channeler receives a highly accelerated code form through the brain area called the bridge or pons now this this affects the inner auditory right the inner ear along the pineal cortex which in turn creates imagery that one can comprehend. Huh. Yeah. So here's this whole crazy like network that that passes through 
so many channels right down into the brain. Mm -hmm. Um, And just as a strange side note, according to the space intelligence, quote unquote, filming or televising of our people is prohibited. (laughs) However, our spacecraft are allowed under our rulings as they do not portray accurately those of our people (laughs) who are our crew or those in command of such spacecraft. (laughs) I love it. I'm like, okay, sure. You know, like we get our, our little like disclaimer. The copyright, yeah. yeah. That's completely. I'm like, who do I, who do I know, could make this sound like, you know, like an end of commercial, like disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know, c- consuming a space intelligence may be bad for your health. Consult a doctor, <laughs> right, if necessary. Um, but but I I start to bring up this because there are some very um kind of like key experiences that we see kind of in hellier and hellier adjacent stuff Mm, okay um and so you know full disclosure i'm a museum member i support them on patreon so i get to see a lot of live streams and experiments and and things that they do Mm -hmm. um and so um one of them was um, during a live stream from the 16th of February, 2019. Okay. This is when um, uh, Greg, Dana, and Tyler, they go actually back to the tunnel where they found, it's actually a train tunnel, um, where they found the tin can. Um, and they hadn't taken it with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they go back to retrieve it, and they're like, well, while we're here, let's do an Estes method. Right. Right, and we'll talk more about the Estes method next month. Exactly. Um and there comes a point partway into it um, where Dana, who is effectively channeling, yeah. for lack of a better term, um, references mission control. Now, granted, mm-hmm. it's not central control. I get that. Um, but they do make a connection to Corton. Um, so I've, I've got about a four minute clip and I want to, I want to first off say that normally any of this live stream stuff is for, for members only. So I made a point of actually emailing Greg and being like, Hey dude, um, you know, we're, we're talking about this on our show. I would really love to use about four minutes from here to here Yeah, from the live stream. Um, if, if that's cool, please let me know if it's not, or if I just don't hear from you, I, you know, I know you're busy. Um, yeah. I'll just assume that it's a no. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I just happened to catch like the right moment and he had tweeted something out and I was like, Hey, by the way, I totally shot you an email. Um, if you've got a chance to reply to it and he's like, Oh yes. Sorry. I've been totally swamped with stuff. He's like, go for it. Hey, you, that's awesome. Yeah, you totally have my permission. Totally use it. Go for it. Um, yes. So thank you, Greg. Um, but let's let's listen. It's it's going to have a lot of hiss to it. I apologize. Mm-hmm. When they were recording this, there literally was basically like a creek running through because it's, it's very wet there in February. So there's going to be a lot of hiss. Um, but let's uh, take a quick listen to that. Can we ask you some questions about the investigation that we've been doing that involves this area? Would you answer some of those questions for us? I don't know. Don't know? Mission control. Whoa. Mission control. Mission control? It's like giving permission. Name. Greg. My name is Tyler. 
Who are we speaking with at Mission Control? Mission Control! Mission Control, we are requesting information. Is that request allowed? Hello. Are you happy we're back again? That we've returned? I'm from above. Is that where Mission Control is? Yes. Yes. Whoa, did you? Yeah, there's. Mission Control, where are you exactly? I'm looking outside at the sky here. <laughs> and under. Mission Control, who's in charge? Who, me? You. Starman. Starman. Are you a star? That's unbelievable. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Are you a star man? Night. Night. It is night. It's a beautiful night. What do you know about the symbols that I'm undead? The symbols I marked on the wall, what do you know about those? What's the name? I think you might already know. Goal of the Dawn was a NASA mission. Oh, wow. What was the mission? What, what did the mission entail? If you can look that up. Oh, I feel good about this. No, I don't feel scared. Negative. I feel. Mission control. Mm. Oh, Tenny, I'm right there with you. I just wasn't going to say it. It sounded like <laughs> I can, I can, I can, uh, I can or I can nautical. It was very, very deep. I can nautical. Tenny, that's what. Uh, that's what we were whispering about, me and Strand, the mission control. Oh, it that symbolism pops up over and over again, everything. The away far. Away far. For the people watching who don't understand mission control, if you look up all contact D videos where they're channeling from other dimensions and spaces, they usually start with this is mission control, this is mission control. This is the first time we've ever gotten anything like that out of an Estes session. It's on wasn't that interesting? Wow. Yeah. This, uh, man, it, I feel like there's so much to unpack. It's not just the mission control mm -hmm. stuff. Um, you know, it's it's also, you know, you get them going. And, and, and I've seen this on a lot of live streams of theirs. It's like, what do we do next? Where do we go next? Mm -hmm. 
right? Who should we contact next, right? And and what do we what have we already learned from Robert Short's experience when you ask something that specific, mm. right? You don't get a direct answer. Yeah. Right. It's it's part of that initiation. I think it's part of that frustration you've got to go through. Um, but I, I love that we we get this reference to Starman, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Star star beings basically. Um, and um, oh gosh, what else? Um, um, I feel like, um, I'm trying to form the thought here. Um, well, well, one thing, one thing that I pick up on it. Yeah, please, please. Maybe, maybe I might be jumping the gun on your, or stealing your thunder, because I don't know if you were going to mention this, Mm. but something that I I pick up on it, you say that the date of this live stream was February 16th, 2009. No, 2019. Oh, 2019, excuse me. So February 16th, 2019 was the date that they had this communication, I guess, right? Correct. Well, one thing I think about, Robert Short actually died in 20... Oh, no kidding. Do we know what date? I, I don't have that. I'll, I'm sad to say I don't have that information in front of me, but I'd be very interested to know if that was any time close or maybe closely after he passed, because maybe maybe it's a situation where Corton's maybe now looking for a new person to get through. Of uh, that, well, you know, that's that's an interesting thought. I hadn't considered that. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, that being said. He may have died later in the year. I don't know, but um, it's just it's just something that jumped out to me. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that's that is interesting. Huh. Mm-hmm. Now, for those of you listening who have already seen Hellier, you you will know that this is the live stream where they receive the tone. Right. Um, and and if you if you're not familiar with Hellier and you're like, what are you guys talking about? What tones? We'll get there. Just sit tight. It's going to be a wild ride. Um, but but between mission control, central control, and and I'll be honest other live streams of theirs where literally i believe um one of them was doing a gansfeld experiment now this this is where you basically um as weird as it sounds um cut a ping pong ball in half tape it to your eyes Mm -hmm. um uh you know use good tape not duct tape you want to have your eyebrows after this (laughs) um and basically sit under a red light while um basically having white noise pumped into your headphones mm-hmm. um, where uh, Dana literally sees this big switchboard room. And, and if I remember correctly, and if I'm misspeaking, I apologize, um, travels like along one of the cords, mm. right? So, so this whole idea, the central control mission control, we've got this, you know, grand galactic switchboard. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, I just, I feel like on some level, this is, I don't know if this is like, I don't think this is what we're expecting to find influencing what we actually do find. Okay. I I think this is maybe more an aspect of the phenomena going, here's something you'll understand, Mm -hmm. right? You understand how a switchboard works, right? And this is how we make our connection. And this is how we, we will take you somewhere and show you something. Um, now in the part from shorts book that I just read about receiving highly accelerated code, um, you know, through the brain area kind of affecting the inner ear along with the pineal cortex, which in turn creates imagery. Okay. Okay. I, 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 I feel like there have been a number of instances where, um, you know, I, I think about, uh, what is it? Um, oh my gosh, 
1980. Why can't uh, I remember the name of it? Uh, British uh, military base. Oh, Bentwaters? Uh, yes, but they refer to it as... The the Roswell of England. England. Yes, I know. What's the other base next to Bentwaters? That's what I'm... It's on the tip of my brain and I can't... The other base next to Bentwaters. Uh, Ren, uh, Ren, Rend- Rendlesham Forest. Rendlesham, Rendlesham. Oh my Forest. God, yeah. wow. How could <laughs> I not late. put that together? Holy <laughs> smokes. It, it's late. It's okay. Sure, yeah, I'm spacing out. Um... <laughs> Right. Um, um, there's there's the uh, experience that, you know, one of the guys touches something and he gets a bunch of binary code. Oh, yeah. Right. Downloaded mm-hmm. into him, basically. Yeah. Um, so there is a a clip from season two, episode of three of Hellier, where they're in one of the TNT bunkers outside of Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Right. And they they try something new. They set Dana up with the God helmet. Mm-hmm. Right. Which, again. We'll talk about that more in depth next month. And they've got Connor sitting there back to back and he's doing an Estes session. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, And they eventually come to a point where um, it makes more sense to have just the two of them try to communicate to each other rather than to have someone else. I have Greg ask questions. Okay. Um, But there's an interesting bit where Dana talks about how there's like a database and how like a word is more than just the word itself. Okay. Okay. So I want to play that clip right now. Yeah. Um, it's really kind of fascinating when you look at it in terms of the context of like uh, short talking about how stuff is kind of like put into the mind where it's not just a word, but mm. it's there's imagery with it. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's, let's check that out real quick. Okay. I feel like somebody's trying to like, I feel plugged into something. Are you doing that? Yes. George Gore? I think that maybe you should ask the questions. Can you hear me? Speak. My name is Dana. Calm down. Here. Can you give us a message? Can you speak to us in the English language? Trying. I know you're trying. The database. It's a database, isn't it? The code. Absorbing information. Yeah. Information. Connor said database at one point, and that word was what made me realize what they were trying to explain to me was that there's a database of human English words or potentially other languages that they were trying to use to communicate with us, but the word meant more than just the word. And it was their way of sort of saying the way that we communicate with each other as people, there's a lot in there that doesn't need to be in there. 
and that each one of these words were sort of this condensed, concentrated thing that was really about communicating emotionally rather than verbally or through language. Can I do better? That's it. We're talking to each other right now. I will do better. Cold. <laughs> what should I call you, Loop? There's grandma. Do it orange. With warmth? Warmth. Ten four. Connor and I began to communicate that way using this database of words. And each one of these words meant a thousand times more uh, than just the word itself. There were, there were emotions and colors and all sorts of expressive like symbols that were attached to them. You're speaking in colors. You seem pale. <laughs> I like your language. So isn't that fascinating? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. When it's when it's um oh god what did what did what did they say like like do it orange uh -huh, uh -huh. right do it do it with warmth uh -huh. and it's like oh my god yeah that totally kind of makes sense doesn't it uh -huh. um and it's it's also kind of funny because um at one point. I think Dana goes, and I think it's I think it's earlier in the session. Goes, I see a rose, mm -hmm. right? And it's like, okay, Robert Short had the whole blue rose thing, right? right. Which which is extra weird if you're a t t fan of Twin Peaks because, oh yeah, they had the blue rose task force. That's right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, what is up with the whole blue rose thing? Like, is there a greater meaning to that? Yeah. So anyway, again, it's. I'm seeing these patterns repeated and repeated mm -hmm. and repeated. And, and, and when I see those patterns repeated, mm -hmm. I feel like it lends more credence to the reality of it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, you mentioned earlier a piece of um, equipment called the God helmet, which yes. we will talk about very soon in another episode. But I mean, I've never used that or really any other form of quote-unquote paranormal equipment in my life but from what little i've read some people who have used that device describe feeling a vibration in their body mm -hmm. and that gels really closely with a lot of what short wrote about his channeling experiences i think when he first channeled at giant rock he wrote how he felt before he passed out sort of and started channeling he felt a vibration in his arm and it became a vibration in his whole body yeah so it that that's the kind of thing that i pick up on where i think of like i think basically like okay wait here you have an electrical device that's simulating the brain and inspiring certain phenomenon in the person's consciousness mm -hmm. and they're feeling some of the physical feelings that short is reporting at the time that he's also you know messages for to his consciousness like I'd say yeah you know so there's a parallel there that it makes me kind of think sit up a little bit and pay a little bit closer attention no I completely agree um uh and um yeah that's 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 really an interesting one um mm. I, I, but again ties into 
that whole idea of higher vibration, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? I really, as as much as like I look back at like you know us in the nineties, mm-hmm. right? And we we see this kind of stuff where it's like, oh, we're just trying to reach a higher vibration, <laughs> right? And it's just like you're kind of like, yeah, yeah, okay, new age, new age people, yeah, you guys are all great, uh-huh. um, but but there's really. I think there's something to that, mm. you know, and I know that the God helmet does uh, kind of work with that vibration and that Schumann resonance and stuff. So it's, yeah, I mean, that really, that really makes me wonder. Mm. Um, bear with me. I'm, I'm just really, I'm still very curious about the actual date of, of Short's passing. Oh, yeah. And I was um, trying to look and it's and it's making it very difficult right now for me to to find it because there was another Reverend Robert Short who is not <laughs> the one we're talking about tonight. You know, when I first started researching for tonight's episode, I, I did get a little confused between the two of them yep. because the other Reverend Short, um, I apparently wrote like um, religious books based on Charles Short, Schultz Peanuts cartoons. Yes. And so strange. It is strange, but I, I was sorely disappointed when I found out that it wasn't our Robert Short because I was really getting excited about working Snoopy into this. So well, <laughs> and that would have been fun. Don't that would have been fun, right, right? Always love a little bit of Snoopy. Yeah. Um, so, Seb, at any time did, did Robert Short ever come face-to-face with an alien? To, to my knowledge, he did. He okay. claimed to. Okay, um, To Fair. my knowledge, he claimed to. Um, and I think that wasn't until the 1950s. I want to say it was the late 1950s from what I saw in our research. Yeah. Um, but you found a clip of him all the way back in 1978. Yes. Talking about eight... this. Back in his amazing hair days. Yes. yes this the, is... the, if folks, if you haven't seen a picture of Robert Short, especially Robert Short from, you know, forty plus years ago, he the man did have a pretty impressive <laughs> head of hair. That is very true. Uh, do do you want to do you want to hear the story yeah, of? Okay, yeah, let's, let's, let's take a listen. Yeah, please. My first encounter was in October 1958 with what I claimed to be an extraterrestrial being. Um, that I've since found out comes from the planet we call Saturn in our solar system. Robert Short, UFO investigator. It was, to me at the time, a very frightening experience. The being said to me, we have come down to make an adjustment in the power of our craft. We will see you at a future time. And I thought, what criteria do I have to understand it? And it wasn't until several years later, in fact, after another individual had another experience with the same individual, that I began to understand that my work as of from that time would be through the auspices of the solar government on Saturn in this system. And uh, all uh, message work that I do or channeling that I do would be through their auspices, through the subspace radio network in this system. Well, that was certainly interesting. Yeah, it's 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 a great story, and um, it, it's a really fascinating... Uh, he, Short's so fascinating because he spans... About six or seven decades of ufology. Really, he is, does. I mean, it's almost the entire span of modern ufology. Um, and and so and and the thing that I love about him, he he basically when he first started channeling, um, that was not usual thing for contactees. Mm-hmm. But he stuck to stuck to his gun, you know. And even up until 
the very end he was you know still consulting with people i believe that you could actually um go to different like ufo conventions and if he was set up you know you could purchase a, a channeling session mm-hmm. um, which sounds like it would have been yeah, pretty fun to do actually um and uh yeah his passing really sort of it sounds like kind of ended an era so to speak because i don't believe that there's anybody else from that first generation contactees that's that's still with us today at least in this dimension um, right i should say (laughs) right if i suddenly start you know channeling van tassel or or george damsky or somebody (laughs) right that's that's gonna be a whole different thing you know what and that's a really good point because i almost go well i'm like well alan greenfield's still around but even Again, you know, if you go read Saucers and Saucers, he kind of was, mm. you know, early second generation. He mm-hmm. he was he was getting into it as a teen um, in like the very early uh, 1960s, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But but he recounts going to you know UFO conventions and and meeting these first gen mm-hmm. uh people and and getting to know them and that kind of stuff which which is actually really fascinating so um yeah i think i think i think you're right i think with shorts passing you know that that is kind of the 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 end of that first generation and now who we still have with us at this point are our mm. second generation uh ufologists yeah um so one of the things that we've enjoyed doing um the past few episodes um is that uh i'll throw some of these names into the secret cipher of the euphonauts oh my gosh can i just say please we did we've done that you're right we've done that many several episodes now and when we did it for i believe our last episode um for the shaver mystery yes for me personally that was a turning point because there were a lot of terms in that episode that particular episode that after they came out of the some of the phrases and words that came out of the cipher mm-hmm. it, it seemed like it things were more relevant than and that for me was a big turning point i because I, yeah i'll agree yeah. with that i will agree with that i don't when i did these i didn't really kind of have that same experience when i was doing months for the shaver mystery where i was kind of like oh okay this is oh interesting yeah. you know there were a couple with mm-hmm. this one but it wasn't at the same level but let's i mean i'll, I'll just go over some of them and if yeah. and if and if they resonate with you they resonate with you that right yeah um so robert short equals 152 mm-hmm. uh so we get stuff like a secret glory uh we get excellent we get i am the snake wow Ugh. Uh, intellect. Um, uh, we get stuff. Now it's incomplete, but it's it's profit is mm. right. Um, words are truth. That's that's interesting. that is an interesting one. Yeah. Right. Um, I threw John All in. Uh, has a a uh, value of forty, and so we get stuff like alter, gross, host, lurk, and woes. Like woe is me. Mm. Um, Corton is a value of 73. Now, I'll just point this out if you're not a ham radio buff. Uh, 73 is actually, they will use that as a greeting, mm. right? They'll, they'll send each other 73s. Okay. So if, if ham radio operators were like, you know, occultists, they would have 73 and 93. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, but it, it's, Again, because ham radio comes up in this in terms of channeling, I find the yeah. 73 interesting. Mm-hmm. 
Anyway, um, so for Corton 73, we get a curse. We get, now this one I find interesting is by Iwas. Now, Iwas, that's that, um, um, uh, 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 it was like a, a entity channel by Alexander Crowley? That's right. Okay. That's right. So we get Corton mm. by Iwas. Okay. Um, we also get Damned. Okay. Uh, we get Great. We get Holier, but then we also get Is No God. Hmm. But then we also have power and strong. Okay. So some interesting ones for this one. Um, now, Corton claimed to come from a place called Coldas, K-O-L-D-A-S. That is a value of 30. Um, don't get a lot for this one. We have flow, hail, and world. Hmm. Uh, but interesting. Coldass is supposed to be a world, and here's world. Eh, okay. Hmm. Um, giant rock has a value of 114. Okay. Um, we get blindness, business chosen one uh we get desolation that's interesting which kind of makes it like a desert right right? exactly um strangely enough we get gods of men Hmm. Uh, we also get no law beyond Hmm. which is not a song by the specials that's one step beyond (laughs) totally different totally different we're not going to get into scott tonight um we get numbers we also get one palace um we also get where I am. That's yeah. That's interesting. That's the interesting one. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, for blue rose, which is one thirteen. Um, for now, this is interesting because he starts a ministry called Blue Rose Ministry, mm-hmm. and the the first like notable one is against all gods. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also get blind him. Do not see. That's 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 like a they go together those two phrases. I yeah. yes, I I agree. Yeah. Um, I I almost get a sense that, and I'm I'm this again. This is a completely off the cuff interpretation hmm. of it. Is is like by the time he kind of starts Blue Rose Ministry, he's kind of drifting from hmm. right, like the original experience with okay. Corton and all that. Uh-huh. Again, off the cuff, total interpretation. Your mileage may vary. Um, but we also get I am life. We get made by hand. Uh, we get pleasure, service. But we also get the evil. We also get the spell and thy proof. Uh, Some weird ones on that one. Yeah. Um, all right. Lastly, Ashtar Command, value of 130. Um, a star for every. Eh, maybe something to be made out of that. I don't know. But then we get... Ah, ah, death, death. <laughs> it sounds like the title of like an exploitation film. Uh, something like that, yeah. You know, one of the, the strange, you know, Congolese, West African. We get all disappear. We also get at his own risk. Um, some of the better ones, uh, flaming hair. <laughs> I like that. All, all, all I see is uh, Mrs. White from Clue. And, and the, the, the hair and then the, the fire. Yeah. Uh, What else do we have? Uh, Group around. Okay. We get um, is the crown joys on earth. Um, Here's an interesting one. Light and I am. Yeah. Here's again light coming into it. There's our train. Nice to hear it. (laughs) A little late tonight, I think. Oh. Um, Strangely enough, we get little world. Mm. Uh, We also get my left hand. Mm. Now. Doesn't sound like much, but when you think of the connotations of the left hand, sinistra in Latin, mm-hmm. um, being, you know, like a more evil thing, read yeah. into that what you will. Uh, specter, the curses, the double. 
hmm. the others. Yeah. Then we also get stuff like we are upon and also within you. Hmm. And lastly, but not leastly, Ashtar command also equals word of the God. Now that's interesting. That is an interesting one. Yeah. Huh. That is an interesting one. Um, so yeah, I, I really hoped, like I knew that the idea behind this episode for me was I, I really wanted to talk about Robert Short. I really wanted to talk about Corton. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe this channeling is is kind of an interesting thing, you know, um, but I also wanted to use it as a jumping off point to kind of like talk about some of the stuff that we see that parallels. Oh, yeah. Um, in in uh, more modern experiences with uh, with Hellier and all that. And and hopefully we've done that. And hopefully we've done Robert Short some justice as we've talked about that. Um, Seb, any, anything else from his life or your observations of it that you want to share before we move on? Just I think it's great how um, he kind of represents a time when uh, individuals were communicating with other entities um, I guess you might say directly, you know, mm-hmm. without any sort of, I mean, unless you want to count the ham radio or the, the automatic writing. I mean, it was pretty much a direct communication. And I think that's an interesting, it's going to be an interesting compare and contrast with our next episode, <laughs> which we've, we've kind of hinted at so far in tonight's episode. But we're going to be talking more about the, the technological aspect of, you know, devices that can be used to try to keep different entities or study the paranormal in different ways, I guess it sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. We are looking at methods of communication next month before the month after that we finally dive into hellier um but yeah it is interesting that you bring this up as terms of like like a direct connection um because i don't i don't feel like we hear about that quite as much anymore Mm. and it's like okay so what what was it about people then mm-hmm. who were able to let's, I mean, for lack of a better term, kind of like hit that vibration more naturally, mm. right? Like, is it really, are, are we so like sucked into our technology, TV and internet and our phones and stuff that, that we've, we've disconnected like from being able to reach that vibration without technological help? Maybe, maybe. I mean, I think one way you could look at it, um, you could say that, uh, you know, there's some people that wear glasses and some people don't wear glasses. I think maybe a Robert Short is the kind of person that, that doesn't need glasses to see. But, you know, I think for maybe for the rest of us, we need uh, a spirit box or something to kind right. of get that message, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. That's, don't that's, know. that's an interesting analogy. Yeah. It's, it's, and it only works so far because I know Robert Short wore glasses. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but I, I, know what you, I know what you mean. I know what you yeah, mean. Yeah, Sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> um, Sam, I got one more question before yeah. we move into our next segment. Last yeah. month we had Your Descent into the Archives. Yes. Uh, took us into a very strange story out of Stockton, California. Yes. Do we have any any new news about that tale yeah you know just just to remind the 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 the, the listeners if you remember last uh, episode we spoke about um a, a situation where there was a gentleman by the name of jc brown who appeared in some stockton area newspapers back in the 1930s um it was an interesting tale he he claimed to have many years earlier discovered a hidden cave deep in a mountain in the cascade ranges where there was a hidden civilization golden tablets mummies all sorts of wonderful things 
thing. Um, he shows up in Stockton, tries to get some people interested in putting an expedition together, and then he disappears. Um, it's a fascinating tale. Um, I, I had never heard of the story before um, I first found it in researching for that night's episode. Um, I make no claims that uh, in any way we've discovered the story it has been something that's been known about and written about and there's youtube videos about it and all that kind of good stuff um i i i have read some claims that a there was a british um mining engineer who had was identified as being jc brown um part of the part of the thing i had read that was that his in-laws lived just across the street stockton from where this all took place i i i looked him up on uh, ancestry.com and this individual in-laws as far as i could tell never left britain really so mm -hmm. i'm not sure if that really held up but there's a lot more interesting stuff out there there's one book written in the 1980s that actually gives an alternate version of the story where he actually claims that jc brown took his group of followers from stockton actually into the cascades and that's where he disappeared mm -hmm. Um, which is interesting. Um, there's definitely, I think, a lot more research that could be done. I think that there's a finite number of articles from old newspapers online. I think there might be more stuff that isn't online yet that could be found in old newspaper archives and on microfilm at different libraries, which is something I'd like to, to look into maybe for a potential future episode. But yeah, I'm so, I'm so glad that, that you and John both thought it was an interesting story because I thought it was a, a, a real pip. So. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it was really cool. And it definitely is one of those things where, like, I know that um, uh, someone has done a bit of a documentary about it, but it also sounds like, not that I've watched it or listened to it, but it definitely sounds like there's parts of the story that still haven't been told. It sounds like it. Yeah, I think there's definitely a lot more meat on the bone, so to speak. Yeah. So yeah. I, that's one of those things that definitely I, I, I would love to find a way to circle back to. Maybe maybe we just need to do a whole episode on it. Yeah, cool. Um, so anyway, every month, like we did last month, like we will this month, and well, like we will next month, Seb's going to go dig into the old-timey newspaper archives to unearth the story of high strangeness. Seb, my boy, what do we have this month? Well, we have a tale of high strangeness or, or maybe low strangeness because it's... I don't know if it's a very strange story. I mean, it is a strange story, but, well, we'll let you listeners decide. Um, this comes from the <laughs> San Luis Obispo Daily Telegram newspaper of January 9th, 1923. And the article is entitled, Ghost Voice is Found in Woman. Well, where else would you find Where, where else uh, find, would you find a ghost voice, exactly? <laughs> and it says, Will a ghost voice implanted in the delicate throat of Mrs. Carmen Nuncio, 25, by a departed singer friend, make her an American operatic phenomenon. As a little girl, Mrs. Nuncio had an Italian friend, an accomplished singer. Quote, when I die, unquote, he told the little girl one day, I'll leave you a wonderful gift. Carmen forgot that. Then just a few days ago, the Italian died. Mrs. Nuncio fell into a death-like trance, her friends say. Quote, I want to sing, unquote, she said when she recovered. Though she had never sung before, she burst forth in a delicate dramatic soprano voice she was taken to dr o ferrat's pupil of lasat and the south's foremost musical authority exquisite exclaimed ferrat ferrata i don't know if sure. your fortitude is to study hard if your fortitude is study if your fortitude to study hard is as great as your ability to sing there is no limit to your possibilities unquote so yeah it's a Apparently a story of a woman who be, tried to become a professional singer and supposedly her gift of song came from the spirit of a dead singer, which is uh, 
Which is kind of crazy. I've never heard of a, a comparable paranormal account. Yeah, like that's this, really that's an interesting one. Um, but it's sort of, I mean, it's sort of kind of related to the idea of channeling. I mean, it's a sure. non-material entity who's communicating to a living person. But in this case, it's not so much communicating a message as a Katie song. Yeah. And, no, I like that. That's a neat one. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, they talk about Mrs. Nuncio falling into a death-like trance. Yep. I mean, and that's sort of kind of like Short's kind of having his, when he's when he's in his trances, he claims that he's kind of unconscious, not aware of what he's saying or what's going on. Really. Exactly. So, exactly. Exactly. There's a, there's a little bit of connection there, but um, yeah. So that's uh, there you go. I like that. That's a good yeah. one. Nice find. Yeah. Nice find. Oh, thanks. Well, that is it for this month. Thank you for joining us on this adventure into the weirdness that surrounds us every day, no matter what vibration it might be on. Uh, if you've got an experience you want to share with us, or if you have questions, hey, shoot us an email allnightgeeks at gmail dot com. You can follow us on Twitter at allnightgeeks. You can follow me. At BusBuddha71, and you can follow Seb at Clan McMuffin. Indeed. Hey, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, you know, Jim the Podcast Merchant as he rolls his wagon down the street. I don't know. <laughs> and be sure to rate and review us as well. Hey, just as importantly, share us with your friends. Word of mouth goes a long way to spread the love around, and we'd appreciate it if you told at least one friend about the broadcast. Uh, big thanks, as always, to the Ghoulies for letting us use Hot Rods from Outer Space from the album Midnight in America as our intro and outro music. Please go give them a follow on the social medias and hit up the ghouliesdenver.bandcamp.com to buy their music. Uh, we've got merch. That's over at shop.spreadshirt.com slash N-O-T-L-G shirts, buttons, stickers. Go put us on a window or a street sign. <laughs> put us on a weird street sign and take a picture and tweet it at us. Ooh. Go check that out, please. And huge thanks, as always, to Kate the Steam Powered Mouse for doing the show's artwork. Um, normally at this point of the episode, I say, obviously, we're still in a pandemic, which we are. Um, but we are also coming to kind of a strangely critical time uh, in history. So I will say right now, it's it's not just important to help out local artists and local businesses. Um, it's very important to help out um, uh, groups that are providing abortion access uh, to those who don't have it anymore or will soon not have it. So please so go and support them first. Um, if you do that and you still want to throw some bones our way, we're not going to tell you no. You can do that at patreon.com slash N-O-T-L-G. Uh, so that is it for this month. Getting into midsummer here. We will catch you next month. And in the meantime, get out and find something weird. Good night. Take care, everybody. You know, consuming a space intelligence may be bad for your health. Consult a doctor if necessary. <laughs>